Hey guys, you're listening to Totally Stoked Podcast with Amelia Travis, yoga teacher and wild child turned multi-six-figure business coach, writer, speaker, and spiritual warrior. Totally Stoked is an experiment in radical honesty. On this show, there's only two rules, show up and tell the truth. Each week, we share uncensored, truth-telling, shame-busting conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and modern-day mystics revealing their rise to thrive stories, current challenges, and sharing their most powerful tools for awakening, growth, and well-being. This is your place to let down your guard, open your heart, and remember that being human is a crazy, wild ride, but you don't have to do it alone. So buckle up, baby, because we're heading full speed ahead to radical self-love and a totally stoked life. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Welcome back, you guys, to another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast with your girl, Amelia Travis. Today, I am welcoming one of my very favorite people in the world to be my guest. She is a movement expert turned business coach for health and wellness professionals. She's also a sexual violence survivor who turned her own dark night of the soul into a life mission to help other people experience peace and freedom in their own skin. This woman holds a master's degree in biomechanics and has spent the past 15 years helping people understand their bodies, improve their movement, and create their own meaningful understanding of optimal well-being. After getting fed up with working for others, she started Soul to Soul Wellness, providing high-level education to movement professionals through anatomy trainings, business, and mindset coaching. Her dance moves are the best I've ever seen, and when you meet her in person, it feels like basking in warm sunshine. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Gabriella De Lorenz. I really need to get a clap track, because every time I do an intro, I'm just like, wow, this is the greatest. Oh, it gets better every time. Your presence really does feel like basking in warm sunshine, as I was as I was noting that to myself. She did not write that bio. <laughs> Wait, I did. In case you're like, wow, maybe I should say that being around me is like basking in warm sunshine. You could try that. I don't know how it would go for you, but... Try putting it on your cover letter for your next job application and see what happens. (laughs) Um, So we've got a really fun episode for you guys today. We uh, have some some really important topics that we're going to talk about, but one of the reasons that I wanted Gabs to come on the show was that she was a catalyst. She was a catalyst recently um, this summer. You guys have, if you've listened to the show, you've heard about my experience uh, in healing my own um, sexual violence in Joshua tree. And Gab was there for that experience. And not only was she there, but she was actually the trigger, uh, that sent me into the actual experience of healing, which I maybe would have avoided, um, had you not been there. So, so thank you for that. Is it okay if I share with everyone how that went down? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you used to be my coaching client. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we were getting to the tail end of our coaching relationship. And uh, I invited you to come out into the desert and heal some of our shit. Maybe we didn't know what it was, but I was like, Hey, you want to go to the desert, eat some mushrooms and like, see if we can heal ourselves. And you're like, (laughs) yeah, no place I'd rather be. (laughs) Perfect. And so, um, so we had had a professional relationship and then we had this opportunity to be together in person and we felt like we'd known each other for many lifetimes which i'm sure we had um and i think it was like day two or three where we were going into this um mushroom ceremony and it was later in the night like we'd had a, a lot of fun and played and romped around in the desert and it was getting to be later in the night and we decided we were gonna we were gonna smoke some weed full disclosure like that's what we were gonna do (laughs) um, stepping outside and uh so we were gonna do that and we sat down and smoked a little bit and that was actually a bad idea if you're ever (laughs) that's a good idea or bad idea if you're eating mushrooms it's a bad idea it was a bad idea for me it sent me into a little bit of anxiety but you were asking me to share with you about um my story the story of how I met my husband. Yes. Which, first of all, I 
I was so appreciative of that because I realized that often when I'm in this hostess role of hosting retreats or whatever, it was just interesting that you asked me that because it made me realize how often I'm not, like people don't maybe ask about my Mm. actual story. And you prefaced it in such a beautiful way. You're like, okay, I'm ready to go have some sister time with you and like really get to know you just as a friend. So I want you to like, tell me everything. Tell me how you met your husband. Tell me about your life. And it was so sweet. Um, and um, I was really touched by it. And then I started trying to tell you about how I met my husband, but I couldn't go into that without going into the backstory, right? Mm, yes. And you were sitting and holding space for me. And as I started to go into the backstory of like what was happening before my husband, I started to kind of spin out into like anxiety, right? Yes. And uh, to me sitting up, across from you, it just felt like you were starting to put a wall up. I was totally putting a wall up. I was getting super, super uncomfortable because I felt like I wasn't being eloquent anymore. And I felt like you, we didn't, maybe you were going to judge me. Like we didn't know each other that well. And I just started to like freak out and you, you held the space so gently. And then I basically was like, I got to go. But what happened was like you had, and I meant like, I got to go try to hide in my bed and like put the covers over me. And like, that didn't work either, by the way. So I ended up going and (laughs) seeking my healing experience in the desert. But that conversation that night, you were an angel for me. And I don't think you really knew it, but like Mm -hmm. God had literally placed you right there to activate that exact recollection and memory so that I would become uncomfortable enough to go into the meditation that I needed to go into to find the healing. And I feel like you were a really important person or just the right person to do that because you deeply understand what it feels like to recall on memories of sexual violence. Yes. Right? So we're just going to go for the jugular. So like I said in the intro, you're a sexual violence survivor and that that was part of your path to helping people find peace and freedom in their bodies. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us what that's all about? Oh my gosh. Yes. So before my, uh, rape incident, um, for lack of a better word, um, I was, uh, I, I call it like a, a regular kid. Like I was how not, old were you? um, how old was I? It was in 2014, 24, so like 25, 24, yeah, 24, 25. Um, and so I had just graduated from Auburn. Um, I had just moved to Nashville and I moved here for a job. I had no buddy. I didn't know anybody here. Um, but I was like, man, I'm, you know, I'm 24 Nashville. Cool. Yeah. I'm in. And, um, I had a job opportunity, which was in a small physical therapy office, um, with not really my people. So, um, I had a friend wanting to come up from Auburn and visit me. Um, a girlfriend was supposed to come. She got in a fight. They were actually hooking up at the time. And, um, that night, you know, but it always, it's, it's always somebody, you know, it's always like when you're feeling comfortable and it was a friend, like it's the, uh, yeah, it was the worst actually. And, um, the worst part was it was my now ex-boyfriend. It was his best friend. And your mm ex-boyfriend's best friend was the one who committed sexual assault against you. Yes. In your home. Yes. In my first one bedroom apartment, the only time I had ever lived alone. Um, That was like my, you know, welcome to the neighborhood. Um, And so I lived in fear forever. I didn't want to ever live alone. I was poor as fuck at the time and like couldn't afford the heat. So like I'd stay, I'd stay on my couch in my blankies, like it was, um, I didn't want to turn the heat on secretly. I think I liked being uncomfortable in that house because with the temperature making me uncomfortable, it almost gave me a segue into, oh, it's okay to be uncomfortable here. So in my mind, it was, I can't afford the heat in my body. I'm sure it was, oh, let's avoid the heat because I already don't feel good in this space. So back us up a little bit. And if it's not overly triggering for you, or if you're able to just explain a little bit about who you feel like you were before that experience, and then how, um, how sexual assault changed you afterwards. Yeah, 100%. So I think 
And with most women that I've spoken to or men, excuse me, about this, it's usually somebody, you know, and you trust and you've already let your guard down. Um, so in my specific case, um, we, it was just the two of us. We went out drinking that night. Um, I was a, I was a pretty good drinker at the time. Um, I drank a lot in my 14 to 16, 18, maybe not, maybe like 15, 16. I started drinking. <laughs> I drank a lot when I 14, was 14's young. Um, but like 16, 17, I 18. Mean, no judgment from here. I yeah. Thank you. <laughs> but I think like I was never into really smoking pot. Like I was just a drinker, but we grew up on the beach. Like my whole family grew up drinking. If I wanted to try wine when I was 12, my mom would give me a sip. I hated it, but I'm also Italian. So like, that's not weird. Um, so for me, we went out drinking, um, and I started getting, he went, he excused himself to go to the bathroom and I start getting weird text messages from him. This was um, while you were out or back at your While house? we were out and he went to the bathroom, took his phone with him. And I'm now, I'm sitting at our table waiting for him to get back, getting text messages from him inappropriate to the point of, I screenshotted them and sent them to my boyfriend at the time. And I said, you need to get your boy in check is literally quote what I said. And he just said, LOL, it's just whatever his name was. Like, that's kind of the kind of guy he was. And oh, your uh, ex-boyfriend sounds like a real gem. Right? I was like, mm -hmm. so I sent, I screenshotted another text. I said, okay, I'm serious now. And I'm sure he did nothing. And um, so that, you know, just carefree. Still, Something in my head is like looking back, I call it naive. I know it's just who I was at the time. Um, but we got home. I was, uh, you know, we're both pretty drunk, just drinking all night, but I made, I had to pull out sofa. I made him a bed. Um, and then I go to shut my door. I washed my teeth, brushed my face, flossed for heart health. And I came back and I go to shut the door and my belly, my low belly, everything in my pelvic region said, lock your door. And my head said, I have never locked my bedroom door in my life. Like at home, I'm from this small, small town. We don't even lock our house door at night. I said, I'm not going to lock my door. And again, like screaming at me. And I just didn't listen. And that's who I was. I would do everything for anybody else. And I wouldn't listen to myself. And it took me like two or three times to listen to myself, I should say. Eventually, I might have gotten the point across. Um, but I remember calling my boyfriend that night. I remember saying goodnight, um, put my phone on the charger. And then I woke up in the middle of the night. And he is inside me, rolling me on top of him. And I freaked the fuck out. And it's almost like I blamed myself for a while because why'd you get that drunk? Like, you know, he's already inside of you and now you're rolling on top of him. How long has he been inside you? Like, that's on me. Like, I shouldn't have gotten that drunk where I don't even like, you know, when you like answer a phone call in the middle of the night and you're, t you wake up like halfway in the conversation, you don't even know what you're saying, but you're in the middle of a sentence. And it's like, that's what I kept trying to equate it to. And I go, no, Gab, you're at fault. You're at fault. You're at fault. You're at fault. And I used to blame myself for a lot of things. And um, that night I actually called my mother who never picks up her phone in the middle of the night because my stepdad sleeps, uh, he, excuse me, he wakes up at four in the morning to go to work and she picked up, of course, she just knew. Um, and then I called my ex-boyfriend and he uh, he saved me too. Between him and my mom, I think it's the only reason why he left, but it literally came to the point of me convulsing on the floor. He broke into my bedroom with a kitchen knife. He broke into the closet. I locked myself in with a kitchen knife and between my mom, me just like parroting my mom back and forth and putting my ex-boyfriend on speakerphone, did he even leave? And I woke up the next morning. Well, looked at my phone the next morning and he had deleted all of our text messages and but he didn't know I screenshotted them like that's how I knew I it like that was honestly you don't need evidence to know that it's not your fault I, I hope everyone hears that but I needed it 
And like for me to see that my texts were deleted, for my ex-boyfriend to sit on the phone with me and say, Gab, you should have, did you hear yourself last night? Like you wanted no part of that. Mm -hmm. I needed the validation and that's who I was back then. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wouldn't listen to anything going on. And literally from there, and I'm only realizing this right now as we're talking about it, like my life's mission is to just share with people how to communicate with what their body is telling them because it truly has, I'm sure in more ways than I can even know has saved me, my intuition. I mean, you're, you know, better, you know, Mm -hmm. better for a lot of things before a lot of decisions even have the opportunity to blossom in front of you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't that girl back then. And, um, and, but I really have made it a mission of mine to share how to communicate with your body at, in all areas and walks of life through anything. It's not just after a sexual assault, but like before you have to make a really hard decision, anything Mm -hmm. like your Mm -hmm. body knows. Mm -hmm. And I would love to help everyone learn that communication pattern. We're totally going to talk about that. So a couple of things I want to say first, thank you so much. I just threw you into that and did not really give you fair (laughs) warning that that was where I was going to go with the first question. So thank you for, for sharing openly. One thing I want to say that um, is not a criticism of you at all or that story, but just something I observed in the story that I think I've also observed in myself and in other women is when this guy was texting you from the bathroom and he was sending you inappropriate messages, mm-hmm. you, you send them to your boyfriend, right? And I think there's this really interesting aspect of our conditioning that teaches us to like essentially like tattle or like get, get like tell, tell our, tell our man that like this is happening rather than being like, yo motherfucker, like those text messages you just sent me from the bathroom are totally whack. Like what's your problem? That's so inappropriate. Do not send me messages like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that bums me out, right? It bums me out now as a woman who it's taken me 34 years to get to where I now am that woman, um, where I will say, you know, to my husband's friends or, to somebody on the street um, or to somebody who catcalls me, hey, I don't appreciate you catcalling me. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, even now when I do it, like my heart is racing and my I have like a lump in my throat, but I do it. You know what I mean? And I do it because I realized that I spent a lifetime expecting men to defend or protect me or putting the It's like when a guy hits on us and we don't want to be hit on and we say, I have a boyfriend, regardless of whether we have a boyfriend, right? It's like, we do not, we still do not feel like, hey, within myself, I have the right to to say this behavior is inappropriate, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's that conditioning that I believe is a huge part of why we blame ourselves, right? And of course, also just the cultural conditioning that it's our fault, <laughs> like rape culture is a yep. real thing. Um, so you said that this experience was a huge teacher for you in learning to listen to your intuition. Um, but can you take us a little bit into like the aftermath? Because undoubtedly, like it wasn't just like you were like, oh, <laughs> Guess I learned to listen to my intuition. Like now that, you know, so, so what happened after? Did you go into a depression? Like how did that experience lead you to your path of healing? Because I know it was a part of what brought you to yoga. Can you share with us a little bit about what happened after? Yeah. So, um, the next morning I, I, you know, I don't know if I slept and, or if I was awake or if my eyes were just open that whole night. And Um, the next day was Saturday. And if I had lived in Nashville for five weeks, I had gone to some yoga class at, well, the same yoga class every Saturday. Um, and really it was because I didn't know how to make adult friends and I've been an athlete. And I, so I found that mind body app just came out. Well, came out that I was aware of. Um, and I found a yoga studio a few miles away. And so the next, that next Saturday, I just got up, whether the alarm was already set or I just knew, I have no idea, but I found myself in the car my mom was on the phone and, uh, I don't remember driving to yoga, but I was at yoga and I parked my car and I was in the park. It's a big parking lot. And I go, 
mom, I, I have to go. I'm at yoga. She goes, you're going to yoga. And like in this, mind you, it's nine o'clock in the morning and I don't know if I slept and I'm probably still wasted. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, okay. I'm going to yoga. I said, yep, I'm here. I don't know. And I literally, you know, I super freaking swollen walked up, you have to walk up the stairs. It's like, you know, like I say, it's like the green mile, but I've actually never seen that movie. So I don't know. It seems, <laughs> but it makes it seem more dramatic. <laughs> Okay. Uh-huh. There is a scene in the Green Mile that may work for what you're doing. <laughs> on a corridor in a prison. It's the whole thing. <laughs> so I walk up the stairs and the teacher is waiting for me. I'm like, I'm definitely late. And she's just smiling. And I was like, fuck. So I had to take my sunglasses off. And there is one mat space in the front of the room, right in this freaking middle. And uh, you have to walk through everybody. And it's now, this is a Baptiste flow. It's powerful vinyasa. Mm-hmm. And um, so I take my sunglasses off. I don't even know if I said anything. I don't know if I checked in. Like, I just walked in. And I have my mat underneath me. And, you know, it's that moment where you feel like everyone's staring at you, but they're all probably in child's pose, like, literally waiting mm-hmm. for class to start. And I laid my mat out. And I don't remember what happened next. And I was in child's pose for a long time. And I then started to, I'm sure, sober up mostly because the heat in there is, I'm sweating. And now it's also the time <laughs> is going by. I was like, you probably smelled really great. <laughs> I'm sure. Like, but in that on. moment, I was like, why the fuck am I at yoga? Mm-hmm. Like I came to, I don't know where I was. And I was like, oh my God, I am in child's pose on my mat. What am I going to do? I've never felt more seen in my life. I've never been more embarrassed. Um, but it was also an embarrassment where it's like, I felt safe within the embarrassment. I don't know. Um, and I didn't know if it was worse to try and do the yoga or to just stay in p- child's pose, but I felt extra vulnerable and I couldn't move. Mm-hmm. And just having my heart space close to the mat is the only thing that felt good. And so uh, halfway through the Baptiste flow comes tree pose, maybe a little bit more than halfway through. And I was like, oh, I got this tree pose for days. Sure stood up and I instantly was going to pass out. So I went back into child's pose and then sometime after it's only 60 minute class and making it seem like it was forever. But like sometime later, the teacher came up to me and um, it's traditional in the Baptiste sequence to offer physical assists. Um, Back then there wasn't this big question. If you know, do you ask to assist? Do you not? It just kind of, you just kind of do it. And um I definitely wasn't expecting it, but she came and she just, in my child's pose, came and just gently gave me two, touch, she touched my hips and just gently pressed my hips back down to the floor. Typical assist, I've gotten it a hundred times, but uh, it was an instant flinch. It was an instant, don't touch me. Physical touch is my number one love language. So that was weird. Um, and honestly, I don't remember the rest of class. I picked up my bag <laughs> when I, oh, I, how could I forget? Um, when I got to my phone, I had a missed call from a girlfriend asked, bitching at me, the girlfriend who liked this guy who assaulted me and basically told me, how could I do that to her? And I called her and I said, he fucking raped me, you bitch. Pardon my language, but that's exactly what I said. And I hung up the phone and then I had to drive home. So it sounds like you went into a a dissociative state after like in the immediate aftermath of the assault. Yes. Um, and at that time being in the yoga class was a safe place, but like, obviously you were dealing with, you know, uh, post-traumatic response in terms of like, don't touch me. Mm-hmm. And then later yoga became part of like the way that you became able to receive touch again, right? Yes. Yeah. Can you share with us a little bit about oh, just your healing process over the next, well, since then, because we're yeah. probably still healing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, so basically from there, uh, I would say that assist definitely, uh, saved my life from that, like saved me just back into the person who I am and who I'm meant to be. Um, in the sense of like, I was still working in a physical therapy office. I had to go back in and touch people and care if they got better. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want people to touch me. I didn't want to give hugs. I didn't want to give love. And like, I don't know if anybody knows me. I'm like, hugs are my favorite. Mm-hmm. 
And so, but also just like a simple handshake with a man. I was, mm-hmm. I don't trust you. No, don't touch me. And like, so basically, um, I don't know what happened, but I kept showing up to yoga and, um, a few months later, if this was back in maybe July in September, I joined teacher training and I couldn't tell you really why I didn't have the money for it. Uh, I literally had to ask the lady to get put on a payment plan, which she was more than so happy to do. So grateful. Um, but it was yoga was the only place where I, wanted to touch people like as I was going through teacher training like I had to start touching people and offering assists in the sense of I'm a student and it made that physical touch feel different instantly the physical touch in a yoga assist is meant it's not even meant to change you or to change your shape it's just meant to help you go deeper somewhere else And so for me to be able to give those assists as well as being able to receive those assists never came across as sad or vulnerable or um, obviously the first assistant child's pose, it felt crazy, but it felt safe. Like it was, and then, you know, then I had to go back to work and the, t- the touch wasn't safe anymore. I had to go to the gym and be partners with people like throwing a med ball back and forth. It's like, I, no, I don't even want to be close to your energy field. Mm-hmm. And so for me, a lot of the, yoga just felt safe and it I was I didn't know this at the time but looking back I was being vulnerable just you know laying in fish pose with your heart open to the sky laying in camel pose excuse me not so much laying but being in camel pose on your knees and reaching back for your heels with your heart open like everyone's like oh it's a heart opener blah 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 mel I was like no I don't get any of that. And then you have this thing happen to you. And the first thing you notice when you go through any trauma is like, I started always crossing my arms in front of my chest. Like I was in total protecting mode. Like I would sleep, I would be in Shavasana with my hands over my belly and my solar plexus. Like I was creating all of these energy clogs um, up and down my body throughout the entire day. I would hide behind my desk at, um, in the physical therapy office. It's like, oh, if I don't have to touch you, I am not going to touch you. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to shake your hand. I don't even want to high five for the coach who always walks by and wants a high five. Sorry. No, thanks. Um, so a lot of my healing really looked, it really happened, excuse me, in the yoga room. Um, and it was, again, teacher training was awesome, but helped you be vulnerable. It was the first time I then was able to share my story with anybody. I didn't even mean for it to happen. I just, they said something and you know, you're just sharing journal prompts and blah, blah, blah. And then next thing you know, I didn't even write it down. Next thing you know, I was sharing it. Well, almost sharing it between tears. I really couldn't talk about it at the time. Um, but I will say the worst thing that happened after that, because of that was I had everyone come up to me and ask if I was going to press charges. So you're going to press charges, right? So you're going to press charges, right? You're going to press charges, right? It's like, I'm, I don't know. I'm healing. Let's talk about why that is not an okay question to ask somebody in the aftermath of sexual assault. Um, you for, excuse me, I can only speak from personal experience, but it was one of those where. It was a good friend of mine who, no, does not make it okay, but that was my thought. This is a friend of mine. Um, my next thought was I go, this would ruin his life. And that's who Gab was back then. So for you, in your situation, it was about prioritizing somebody. I mean... I think, I think that's really only part of it. I think part of it was, was also knowing that that was probably a big part of it. And also like to press charges would then mean for you to have to go through and look at absolutely everything that happened and talk about why it happened and put yourself in, in our justice system with sexual assault, there is still very much, you know, uh, rape culture. Like it Mm -hmm. was your fault. Well, you were drinking and well, you didn't, you know, Oh, so you didn't, you didn't say no until halfway through like, well, you know what I mean? And it's like, we, whatever. So for you, um, it didn't feel like, 
like you chose not to and that's fine did you stay with the boyfriend like did you guys break up what happened with that just because I know our listeners are like what's <laughs> then what happened yeah well a lot of it is too yeah I already thought I half the days I thought I was to blame the other half I knew I wasn't to blame and some days was something in between so like for me to say that this was all his fault was also something that I was like not okay to ad- I'd, not okay to admit I guess um, but basically what happened was my ex-boyfriend was uh, working in Seattle at the time. I was in Nashville. He came to, and stayed with me for a few days, maybe a week. Um, and like wanted to hold my hand. We had been dating for two years. So like, I didn't want to hold his hand. I didn't want him to sit next to me on the couch. Uh, he wanted to go out to dinner. That was very vulnerable. Um, he wanted to go din- to dinner, like downtown Nashville, which is just, uh, it wasn't as crazy as it is now, but pretty crazy. Like, no, not interested in doing any of that. Um, and so I stayed with the boyfriend for a while and really it was more of a selfish reason to stay with. I think he just, he knew what happened. I didn't have to talk about it, but I knew he would support me. And he was supporting me, um, but he, you know, he doesn't have much to do with my story. Um, Did he stay friends with the guy who raped you? No, not that I'm aware of. And I asked him one time. The other times I was almost embarrassed to ask, like, you have to choose me over him. But choose me, please. <laughs> like, duh. <laughs> kidding me? Okay, so, so this whole story is, is leading me to... Um, just inquire about how how this experience led to you cultivating your self-worth because I really do hear and what's a common story with a lot of people and especially a lot of women is just not a strong foundation of of valuing yourself or valuing you know sounds like you were valuing other people's needs or other people's opinions over your own. And do you feel like that has changed? Oh, yes and no. Uh, I'm a people pleaser through and through. (laughs) Um, But I am definitely more intentional. And um, I think the biggest change for me has really just to sit with any decision I have to make. Like, how does this feel? It's like, sometimes my body just says no. And I want to say yes, like it might be a good thing to do business wise or whatever. And it's like, oh no, but no. Um, And honestly, I think that letting yourself off the hook and not having to be in charge of everything and not just like trusting the universe and God and that I didn't. I always trusted God. I always believed in God minus a few times in my life, which we can talk about later podcasts. (laughs) Um, But it really definitely helped me grow a relationship knowing that somebody's got my back. And my whole life I have spent trying to have everybody else's back and making them feel loved and making them uh, feel a certain way and always people pleasing and always just putting myself last. Uh, I'm a two on the Enneagram, if you couldn't tell. (laughs) And, but basically it has given me, whereas once I might've felt that it was um, selfish to say no to certain things or selfish to say yes to certain things, um, it's given me the opportunity to open that space wide open. And, you know, if something's good for me, I need to do it. If, even if it's maybe not good for somebody, maybe even my family, if it's not something that's best for them, but it's something for me, it's then a conversation I have instead of just saying, or giving in and say, oh no, no, I don't need that. If it's going to hurt somebody, it's, I don't need that at all versus allowing the conversation to happen. Okay. So you're, you're an expert on the body from a biomechanics standpoint and anatomy standpoint, you, you know, the body and how it works and your own life path, your own journey has been leading you step-by-step towards deeper understanding of the interrelationship between mind and body. And like you said, how to communicate with your body. So just a moment ago, you said that one of the things that you feel like this this assault experience 
brought you into was a deeper understanding of what your body was saying. And you mentioned that, you know, prior to the assault, you felt like your body was talking to you. You felt like your low belly was screaming. You felt like you were having this awareness. And then afterwards, you were protecting um, your body in different ways, crossing your arms, placing your hands over your belly. So I know that that there are people listening, um, and myself in, included at times, I used to feel very disconnected from my body. And like, even when people would say, well, what does your intuition say? Or was, what does your gut say? I'd be like, I don't freaking know. Like, how do I know the difference between my head and my gut or my head and my heart? How do I, com like, I didn't understand how to communicate. So can you um, explain to us, and especially those who, who maybe are just like learning that there even is a difference between their head and their body in terms of communication, what do we need to pay attention to? Mm, um, you need to pay attention to the things that you don't even notice throughout the day, like as crazy as that sounds. Um, <laughs> but basically for me, I found it through meditation. Um, but all that I mean by meditation is focusing your mind on one thing. So sure, sit in Lotus and sit up tall on a, your cute little meditation pillow. Um, that's just one way to do it. But for me, again, meditation, finding one thing to set your mind on. So if sitting comfortably is not helping you do anything and it's causing you more stress, go garden. Um, but while you're gardening, you're not thinking about your to-do list. You're not thinking about anything else. You are just thinking about one thing, being present in that one moment. Um, but basically the things to then pay attention to are when some, anything small happens, it's like your phone rings and interrupts you. What is your first thought? And it's, and it really is more of what you consider more of a reaction. So how are you reacting to certain things? Um, if you know, you're sitting on the phone recording a podcast and your dog starts barking, what is your first reaction? Are you freaking out? Are you, or, or can you just sit there? Is it instantly like this ball in the back of your throat, like more and uh, more woo woo, but like the throat, uh, throat chakra stuff. Is that what's going on? Um, is it for me when uh, for me, when I was little, it was when I would, when somebody would say no to me and I just wouldn't get my way. It instantly shows up as anger, like temper tantrums, little gab, just like stomping her feet on the floor. And then I'd sit and, and like be still throwing my temper tantrum, throwing my toys on the floor, like banging them around. It's like, what is your first reaction to things? Cause that's what need, you need to flip the switch. So then it doesn't start you down this anger path of sympathetic nervous system. Um, so parasympathetic is your rest and digest. Sympathetic is your fight or flight or freeze. Um, and it's basically how your body responds at a hormonal chemical level to this, what's happening around you. So for example, when your phone rings and you then instantly get this anger pissed off, now you have just released the hormones and chemicals inside you that make you think fight or flight. It's all your blood system leaves your internal organs for all the good stuff happening and goes to your extremity so you can literally fight the person in front of you or flee, but now it's your phone. It's not fighting off an enemy. So now you can't think as clearly. And now you literally are just thinking with your adrenaline and with your muscles. So it's keeping yourself into this calm nervous states, which is doing present moment work, mindset work, all that really, there's no right or wrong. It's whatever just feeds your soul and what you can register with. Um, but taking the time to quiet down and then realizing your reactions and then slowly just trying to do it not that way. And it's that simple. It's recognizing that your first thought was anger. My first thought was stress. My first thought was the, the, the world is ending. You know, I have to now redo the two hours of work I just did. So now all of your work has now shifted. You're not using your brain to think. You're not using your right brain, which is all your creative goodness. Um, and you're literally just in the sympathetic nervous system. Nothing's going to go your way. You're already on edge. So quieting, slowing down. For somebody who struggles to discern what their thoughts or feelings are, 
do you have any guideposts like in the body that they can maybe pay attention to? Like, is there a way to tap into your intuition that doesn't require you to go through the mind? Mm, yes, that's a great question and a great way to look at it. Um, yeah, cool. Um, so I would say definitely before you react with any sort of action, your body will re has already responded. You've probably already missed it. Um, but I would say like your gut and your belly usually speak first and then your brain decides what to do with it. Um, so whether it's like the nervous butterflies in your stomach, it's going to tell you how to respond. And, you know, sometimes you feel the butterflies and you say, oh crap, this isn't a safe space. Maybe you, you know, whatever traumas you've been through in the past. Um, but I would say that the belly usually speaks first. Um, and then sometimes it goes up and sometimes it goes down. So what I mean by up, it's, it starts at the belly and then it turns into, uh, some sort of a feeling you have to make create some sort of a change or something's not right and sometimes it stays in your heart space and sometimes it goes up into your throat so like noticing then where those kind of internal bodies seem to end or and or start and travel to um, might give you a guess as to what's to do next. I find a lot of the times when I'm talking to people about this and they say, you know, it started in my belly and then I started feeling something in my heart. It's like, maybe it's a decision you need to make. Maybe it's something you need to follow your heart through. If it comes up into your throat, maybe it's something that you're not saying or something that you need to be saying, or maybe you just need to shut up. <laughs> um, but I definitely think the, and this is really from my experience as well as just the people I've talked to about this. Um, the belly speaks first. Uh, some people call it your second brain. I like to refer to it as your first brain, just in the sense of simplest thing is like when you eat something, your belly tells set kind of detects what it is and it sends messages then up to your brain that says, now what do I do with this? If it's carbs, it needs to send something different than if it's protein and if it's fat. Um, and then it can, then better utilize your body. So, oh, cool. But I will say with that, your emotions live inside of you. So taking the time when you feel joy, where do you feel it? Do you feel it in your heart? Do you feel it in your throat? Do you feel it in your belly? When you feel sadness, do you feel it in your head space? Do you feel it in your throat? Do you feel it um, in your solar plexus, in your sacral shot, like all the way at the base of your pelvis? So noticing where your emotions live that has been a really big game changer for me and um to shout out cute little irene that um, meditation you guys had uh done during joshua tree um about where your emotions live in the different koshas and all that was uh totally a different way that i have taken little pieces of to help people dive into the emotional bodies as well mm -hmm. um so yeah, yeah, so, so basically, Irene. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, she just had us lay down on a piece of paper, tra tracked ourselves out, and just took us through our different layers, um, the koshas. But um, when I used to do this, I would it would be after a yoga practice, and I would have people sit, and it's like think of a moment, um, think of a time in your life when you were joyful, and it's kind of you know picture your the perfect world. What were you wearing? What does it look like? What does it smell like? going through all the senses. Um, and then, you know, if, but that was the first time. So when we did it in Joshua tree, after each 10, 20 something minute meditation for every layer, we would have to get up and draw it on our beings. And the first meditation we went through, I was like, draw it. I don't know. Like, what does it look? I have no idea. I just felt it right here. So I picked up the marker, I closed my eyes and I just like, okay, it looks like pink something. And I literally just started kind of scribbling. But that meditation totally was a missing link in what I was teaching my people because it just was like, if you had to draw it, what would it look like? Makes it, makes you have to see your emotions in a different light. Mm -hmm. And I, that totally rocked my world. Yeah. I think, I think learning to, well, first of all, what you what you notice about the enteric nervous system, which is the brain in our belly, is really um, 
important because I think sometimes we believe that all of our processing happens in our brain and we forget that the nervous system is very um, extensive and we have this vagus nerve that goes through our whole body, right? That governs um, a lot of that sympathetic and parasympathetic response. And I, I fully agree with you that the gut and the belly speak first. And I think that that's something to pay attention to, especially if you're struggling or feeling scattered or feeling like you are disconnected from your emotion or your intuition is to um, check in with like, what actual physical sensations do I feel in my body right now? Like, how do how does just not what's going on in my head, mm -hmm. but like separate what's actually going on in my body. Am I hot? Am I cold? Do I feel like I'm being pulled forward or, or like, you know, contracting and pulling back? Do I feel expansive? Do I feel constricted? Do I feel tight? Do I feel loose? You know, and like, and I think the, the visual representation of that, um, depending on what style of learner you are and how you process things that might be really helpful for you too. It's like, well, if I am experiencing this emotion, what does this emotion look like? So that we can start to go beyond language, which often just creates a barrier. Um, so I wanted to ask you about, um, I well, backtracking a little bit. When you were sharing the aftermath of this um, experience that you had, and you mentioned the guy, a girlfriend, you were talking to a girlfriend on the phone and she basically attacked you and said, how could you do this? And you let her know, Hey, this wasn't my choice. Um, we had talked a little bit before this show about one of the things that you're currently like doing work on, which is female friendships and the challenges of female friendship. When you told me that that was an area that you struggle with, I was really surprised because to me, like I said, being with you is like basking in warm sunshine. So I'm like, how would anybody not want to be friends with that? Or how <laughs> this girl have ever struggled with female friendships? Then as you started to share your story and a little bit about like your own self-identification as a people pleaser, it was, I was able to see maybe a little bit more clearly how um, perhaps like deciding who to let into your inner circle um, with women maybe was affected by like wanting to people please. And you said something earlier about, you know, making friends as an adult felt like a challenge for you because you used to be an athlete. So taking all of that together, what is it, what do you mean? What, what's been your challenge with female friendships and what are you learning or working through with that now? Yeah. Um, Man, I grew up with two sisters and me and my older sister are 10 months apart and me and my younger sister are 17 months apart. So we, I like grew up with two built-in best friends and me and my older sister, oh, I love the crap out of her. We just haven't always got along, but where everyone's like, oh yeah, they're just Irish twins. Like they'll never get along. They'll never get along. So for me to not get along with her felt kind of like, oh, it's kind of accepted that we're sisters and we don't have to get along. But I think because of that, I had to be friends with everybody else. Um, it's like, man, I can't even get along with my own, own sister. So I have to like make sure everyone else likes me. But at the end of the day too, I just need to work on my boundaries because I will people, I just find myself, it's like, oh yeah, I can do that for you. I'll just sacrifice myself a little bit here and there. And um, I think my biggest thing with female friends has been, number one, I'm, oh man, I'm not sure. I just, when I played sports, it's almost like you have girlfriends who have to be your friends. And so that was felt easy. Um, but then when all my friends, this was in high school, all my friends graduated. They were the year above me. I played soccer with them since I was six. And so then I had this, my group of friends that were in my grade. And I don't know if people just like one of them didn't started not to like me. And I don't even know what I did to this, to this day. I don't know what I did, but it's almost like everyone chose her side. And so I'm sitting there crying and my mom's like, Gab, why do you, but why do you care? What have they done for you? 
Like, how are they good friends? Like, why are you so sad? And I was like, man, I don't know really what they've done for me, but I'm sad because they don't like me. Mm-hmm. And they've chosen this other person over me. And I don't, my lesson back then was like, it, again, this is in high sophomore year or junior year of high school. Like, girls suck. I hate girls, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not going to get along with anyone and girls are just too hard. I'm going to be everyone's, I'm going to be like the perfect guy friend the girl who's the guy's friend, whatever. Um, but the same thing happened to me in college, but really what happened in college was, um, my dad went to camp, which is basically like a uh, jail, but we call it camp cause it doesn't sound so sad and scary. Um, but it, what? <laughs> so basically my dad's buddy, my dad's buddy got in uh, trouble with the IRS and Long story short, my dad had bought a house and moved my mom in there. She was not, they were divorced at the time, but she was not living in the best area of town. And my dad bought a house. Um, My dad was living in my grandmother's house. And so the name, my grandmother owned the house my dad was living in. My dad was taking care of my grandmother. She wasn't doing well. And so my dad bought a house. So he doesn't have a house in his name, puts the house in his name, can now charge my mom less money for rent because he's not paying property taxes like he's renting it. However, my parents are divorced. So when the IRS came looking for my dad's friend, they thought my dad had all these answers. And my dad's like, look, I don't know anything, but they dove into my dad's stuff and found that this house my mom was living in, he never told my mom, I guess, what the ish, the deal was with the taxes. So basically they sent him to jail for five months. Oh, yes. <laughs> so How old were you when this happened? I was 19, 18 or 19. Okay. And so, however, if that was in March, in uh, February 2nd, excuse me, February 27th, my aunt passed away in a car crash. So she was 32. It, it was tragic for my family. So I'm in college. Uh, I, my aunt just died traumatically. My dad just got sent to jail and I am trying to make it through college. And my roommate at the time broke up with her boyfriend or her boyfriend broke up with her. I don't even know, but basically decided that I didn't have the capacity to help her. So she can no longer be my friend. And I think in that moment, I had the capacity to deal with nobody. It was the first time I had was playing with going to therapy, um, which I couldn't, my mom had to help me afford. Like, so like that was a trauma in and of itself. Like I don't need therapy, like did not have the cool connotations that I yeah, have. I think it's also really expensive and you were a college student. Why would you expect yeah. yourself to be able to pay for that? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, so for me, it's like, I have all this stuff going on. I finally am choosing to try and deal with this myself. And next thing you know, my best friend since freshman, freshman year, it is now maybe junior year, um, wants nothing to do with me because I don't have the capacity to help her through this breakup. And this is what I later learned. Basically what it looked like in college was every one of my friends choosing to go to her side and them, nobody talking to me. And so it was the first time that I think in my life, I felt like I was distancing myself. I felt like I was trying to do a lot more self-help care. Like I knew I wasn't okay. And I knew I was still trying to be strong for everybody else. But I, again, when I was trying to make the decisions for myself and for what was best for me, basically these women, girls in college told me that it wasn't good enough and I wasn't available. So basically I then probably just went back to people pleasing and um lately what that's looked like is a girlfriend stopping talking to me for literally this if it's it can't be the right reason but for not being able to like come to her aid when she was out I couldn't find a key to get into our house (laughs) to let her cats eat and so I called her I texted her and she basically then wanted nothing to do with me and had a phone conversation with me saying how selfish I was this that and the other thing and it's basically turned into now her taking all my friends again. And so 
as I've sat with this now the third time happening in my life, I'm like, man, there's got to be a lesson I am missing here. And lesson number one is to have boundaries. <laughs> um, but honestly, it's like, why, why do you want to show up for the party? And if you're showing up for the party, what, does it have to be their party? It's like when I went out and actually felt connected, like when I went out to Joshua Tree with you and those beauties that were out there with us, it's, you feel this sense of sisterhood and connection. And I asked myself the same thing. Like, why don't I, why can't I find this somewhere else? Why can't I, why haven't I felt this connected to women in a really long time? And I, man, I don't know. It's hard. Like, I don't know if it's women competition or women thinking like, oh, you're too cute. I don't want you coming around my boyfriend or my friends, or I have no idea what it is about. Um, I just never feel like anybody can let their guard down enough to even let me try sometimes. And I take it very, per I, well, excuse me, I'm better now, but I used to take it very personally. Um, but I don't know why I have such a hard time with women. It's just hard. But then it's like you meet the right women. And one of my friends even said, I'm so happy you found a group of people to go out to Joshua Tree with and like connect like that, all that spiritual stuff. I don't get it. <laughs> and I was like, deer in headlights. This is supposed to be my best friend. I go, you don't get it? This is what I'm all about. So it's like, have I just not found the right people or in school you have built-in friends so it's not even like they're your people they just have similar interests whether they're in the same major as you or they work with you or whatever it's like you know they play the same sport as you it's like kind of like they're built in and then when you become an adult it's like oh I have to find people who are like me and who want to be my friend and who I actually connect with and finding that connection is hard but then you find it it feels so effortless <laughs> So what do you think is one piece of advice if you had to give to somebody who's been struggling with this story that, you know, women are catty or full of competition or um, that female friendships are just really hard? Like, what is the one thing that you would say to that person to help them, to help them? Find your tribe because <laughs> they're out there. Um, but it's probably not going to be the person down the street. Like it's not going to ever be easy. Um, sometimes it is easy, but like, I don't know, have, have boundaries, have loose boundaries. I don't like to have hard boundaries. <laughs> um, but I don't know, find the connection and then feed that connection. It's, you know, don't spread yourself so thin trying to feed everybody, but find the people who, like Brene Brown said, your vulnerability is a gift. And you can't just go around giving everyone gifts. You're going to run out. So <laughs> picking, hopefully you run out of vulnerabilities, like, but picking the people who deserve your time and who you do need to feed in because keeping relationships is friendship relationships first. I mean, love relationships is hard, but like friendships is even harder. Like I don't, you don't live with these girlfriends. You don't live with these people. They have their own lives. There are lots of my friends now are entrepreneurs. Like they have lots of stuff going on all the time, but being able to feed into the connections that you do make and keeping them small, you can't have a lot of them. You're just going to run out of juice. So having a few connections, really good connections with a few pe fewer people. Um, because I really, at the end of the day too, you only have so much energy. And so if you're giving everybody a little pieces of it, you're going to run out for yourself. You're going to run out for your loved one who you do live with, who you needs your love for your children, all that. Um, but then feed into the friendships that you do have and Notice if you're not being fed back. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah. So on this journey of healing that you've gone on and that you're continuing to walk, what do you feel like are the greatest tools that have helped you um, 
just cultivate, you, you mentioned meditation. Besides meditation, are there any tools that you think that everyone should be aware of for cultivating their own healing? Yes, singing and dancing. <laughs> okay, perfect. You guys heard it here first. <laughs> meditation, singing, and dancing. Come join us at Women Awake in the Spring. We will Woo! sing, dance, and meditate, and you will be healed. Yes. Um, um, no, so, but it really is just about like, Finding your state of being. For me, I'm high energy. I had to buy one of these fancy things that go in front of my mic so I don't scream at it. But like, right? It, it is, but it is about cultivating what you want. Like if you want to feel happy, change your state. Energy is never created nor destroyed, but it can be altered. So when you're feeling sad, when you're feeling stuck, stand up, jump around, spin around. Like I make Anthony do this all the time. He works at home on his computer and I make him, you see him and it's, you know, it's first, it starts off as like shoulders back, chest high, working on the computer. Then next thing you know, you're frustrated. You put your head in your head in your hand and you're down. Then you put your head over your forehead. You're looking down. And then next thing you know, all your energy is facing towards the floor and you're wondering why you can't get anything done. Stand up, jump around, change your state, change your being, sing, because that feels good and that helps heal your soul. And just let it feel good. When you are on your slapping, uh, I'm like, oh, yes, I can just dance with you all day. You're my favorite dance partner I've ever met. Um, okay, as you've gone on this journey, have there been any um, any books that you feel like have been especially transformative for you that you can recommend to our listeners if they're struggling with people pleasing or if they're struggling with setting boundaries or learning to communicate with their, their body. Is there anything that you would recommend? Uh, the Witch of Portobello by Paulo Coelho uh, is written the, okay, it's every chapter is somebody else's different perspective, mm -hmm. but they're all about this one woman. Mm -hmm. So for me, it rocked my world because this, I am this woman. She is a witch. She is powerful. She has these singing and dancing parties to the point of she loses her mind. And that's when she gets her magic. Wow. And yes, but every single chapter is somebody else's perspective. So Amelia Travis talking about this woman is saying how beautiful she sees her and she's jealous of her and I want to be her and she can do anything and blah, blah, blah. And then Rebecca's ver version of that is how she hates this woman. God, and Rebecca's such a bitch. I know, but basically it's like, it's always about the same woman. Mm -hmm. And you read these chapters and you're like, man, this is how they see her based off of certain things that they've seen her do or mm -hmm. certain things she's seen her said. And it has totally, you will never please everybody. Everyone is going to see you through the eyes, through the, which are because of the lessons that they have. They've, the lessons they've received, the things that have happened to them, the things that have, they have done have all distorted our lenses of how we're going to view people, view the decisions they make and view the things that they want to get themselves into intentionally and unintentionally. And we have these judgments around what we think is right and what we think is wrong. And it's just you will never skew somebody else's vision of you. You can be the happiest, most go lucky. What is that peach in the thing? And people aren't going to like peaches. <laughs> so it's like, you could be the ripest, juiciest fruit and they're still just not going to like you. And I think just seeing, reading a story with some about somebody else and everybody sees her differently. It's like, Oh, I really am not going to be everybody's person or even somebody that they want to seek out just to even sit with for a second. Mm -hmm. um, and it's okay. And that doesn't change your magic and that doesn't change who you are. And it definitely doesn't change how you need to view yourself. Wow. Well, I was going to ask you to share your best piece of advice, but I think you just <laughs> gave it. Dang. Um, okay. So I know we, you and I could talk for a hundred years, but we, ha we can't today. <laughs> um, so 
if people are looking for uh, further support, if they just want to connect with you because they want to come and sing and dance with you, or if they want to learn more about yoga anatomy, or if they're in their own journey of healing or people pleasing, and they're looking for someone to connect with on that, uh, or they want to learn more about business and wellness coaching, they can connect with you on Instagram at. It's still learned yoga anatomy. And only because little Gabster got Gabby DeLorenz and I tried to switch them over and that's not that easy. Um, so I am waiting for it to be available to me again. Um, but you can find me now at learn yoga anatomy. And we'll link it in the show notes because if by the time this airs, that has changed, you just go down. I, the yes. show notes. You can <laughs> there and then you can find her on the web at soul to soul wellness. And that is also linked in the show notes. So I am going to ask you, we like to close every show with, if you and I are in an elevator and you have like 30 seconds to one minute to change my life with the best piece of advice or words of encouragement, um, just anything that you want to say to speak life into me, what would you say? Oh, you are enough. You have enough. You are worthy, you are love, and you are absolutely perfect. Boom. Put it on repeat when you need to hear it. <laughs> Gabriella De Lorenz, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and share your ruthlessly, beautifully, brilliantly brave story of becoming. Um, I just love you so much. And I, I love you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such an honor. And we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on another episode of Totally Stoked Podcast. If you love this episode, if it impacted you in some way, please grab a screenshot and share it right now to Instagram stories. Tag Stoked Yogi, hashtag Totally Stoked Podcast. Each week, we'll grab one listener who shared and send you some Stoked Yogi swag. Also, if you love the show, please subscribe, share it with a friend, or head over to iTunes right now and leave us an honest review. Your support and feedback make this show possible. If you have ideas about how we can improve, please send them to podcast at stokedyogi.com. Until next time, you guys, keep showing up, loving people, telling the truth, and remember, keep living your life totally stoked.